It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 326th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the funniest people in show business. That is something that has been known for the past two decades by people in the world of comedy, like Chris Rock, Kevin Hart, Jamie Foxx, Anthony Anderson, and Larry Wilmore, for whom she has written. And it is something that the general public finally began to realize over the last few years, after she became the host of the late-night talk show The Rundown with Robin Thede, which she also created and was the showrunner of, and which ran on BET from 2017 through 2018, And most recently, as the star of a black lady sketch show, which she also created, executive produces, writes for, and is the showrunner of, and which debuted on HBO in 2019 and will soon return for a second season. A woman hailed by The Hollywood Reporter's chief TV critic and former Television Critics Association president Daniel Feinberg as, quote, one of the most important voices in contemporary comedy, close quote, Robin Thede. Over the course of our conversation at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter, the 40-year-old and I talked about how a girl from Iowa first managed to break into the entertainment business, how she found mentors in Chris Rock and Larry Wilmore, ultimately becoming only the second black female writer and the first black female head writer in late-night talk show history for Wilmore's The Nightly Show on Comedy Central in 2015, and the first black female head writer for a White House Correspondents Association dinner the year Wilmore hosted it in 2016. Why she felt her perspective was an important addition to the late night arena when she started hosting the rundown in 2017, becoming only the fourth black female late night talk show host ever after Whoopi Goldberg, Monique and Wanda Sykes. Why a black lady sketch show, the first sketch comedy series ever written by, directed by and starring black women, which she has described as, quote, literally black girl magic in sketch form, close quote, and which Wilmore has called, quote, Monty Python-esque, close quote already means so much to so many, plus much more. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Robin, thank you so much for coming in and doing this. Good to have you on the podcast. Of course. Always begin with just a few basics. Where were you born and raised and what did or do your parents do for a living? Yeah, I was born in Spencer, Iowa, which is a small town, but not as small as the town we lived in, which was Royal, Iowa, which I think had 800 people. Um, And uh, Spencer was the biggest town with a hospital. So (laughs) I was born there. And then within a few months, my parents moved to Davenport, Iowa, where I was essentially raised. And they are in education. My dad's been a teacher. He just retired last year. Mm -hmm. He's been a teacher his whole life. And my mom was also in education, worked in the library, was a school secretary, worked in the teachers unions until she started getting involved in politics. And now she's a sixth term state representative in Iowa, the first black woman in her district. So, yeah, it's really cool. My parents met in college. My mom was black woman from the west side of Chicago with a big afro who ended up going to a school in Iowa. My dad was this white dude from like a farm essentially in Iowa who had never really known a black person until he saw my mom and fell in love. And they're still together to this day. That's amazing. Yeah, 46 years. Incredible. So let me ask you this. Why is your first name Robin? My dad was convinced that I was going to be Robin, whether I was a girl or a boy, because he loved Robin Williams and he wanted to name me after him. 
And is that because, I mean, that's an incredible thing. Is it because yeah. he was obsessed with, was he a big comedy big guy? Big comedy fan. Okay. George Carlin, Robin Williams. Um, you know, he used to listen to old comedy records. And I remember hearing comedy records of Nixon impressions and stuff <laughs> when I was like, which was outdated at the time. Yeah, right. but he just loved that stuff. <laughs> he loved it. So, yeah, he was he was a great big comedy geek. And and I think he tried stand up for like two seconds, but realized that it was not his thing. Not his thing. So were you considered a funny kid in school and around, you know, town? I think once I got older, yeah. uh, maybe around junior high, mm-hmm. but I had a stutter in elementary school and I was one of very few black kids. I mean, really, it was just me and my sisters. Really? And so in Iowa, it was like, well, what's wrong with your hair and why do you look like that? And they would throw stuff at us and, you know, all that, you know, regular, <laughs> you know, regular racist childhood <laughs> b- bullying. Oh um, but yeah, so, but by the time I got to junior high, it was a more mixed environment and I think I started kind of coming into my own. I started doing theater very young. Well, that maybe yeah. that's what I... And I think that helped. So I've heard about something you were... Were you performing like in your early teens? What was like a touring... Oh, yeah. What is this? So, well, I, a number of touring groups, but this one in particular that still I carry dearly with me today was a group called King's Kids. We were raised in the church, so we were very religious. Mm-hmm. All of our social activities centered around the church's social activities because their theater programs were free. Mm -hmm. And in particular, King's Kids was a puppet touring group. Mm -hmm. And they had a teacher come out from the Jim Henson School who taught us how to puppeteer. I am a master puppeteer to this day, which is why you see puppets recurring in my work. Yeah, I was going to say, opening segment even of Black Black Lady Sketch Show. Yeah. So yeah, I used to tour the country for three summers, like Maybe 12, 13, 14, 13, 14, 15, something like that. Those Tour summers. The country. Well, so yeah, you're... we would get in a van and, and pack up the whole crew and we would take our stages around. We'd perform in different churches. And was this sort of a like a, a church recruitment thing or what was this? How, like, no, who... I luckily went to a church that was sizable enough that it just yeah. had a lot of like performance arts. Yeah. And so there was like a show choir kind of thing. And then there was like this puppet girl. I don't know. There was just this couple at the church who was obsessed with puppets and that love transferred to me. And I don't know if they still do it or not, but. And so you were puppeteering on this and was it, I'm assuming, I mean, I'm assuming some comedic (laughs) element if there's puppets or was it, no? Not really. I mean, it was like, it was kids stuff, right? So it was like half live action and half puppets. So we would set up like these pipe and drape kind of stages and then we would come out and and sing the songs and then we would go back and do the, the voices were already pre-recorded with the puppets, which was nice. And then we would do the puppeteering and then it would just kind of go back and forth. It was wild. Wow. So my sister and I were both in it together and we both had the only black puppets. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have your puppets? No, no, no. I didn't own them. I wish. Oh. I wish. <laughs> so in terms of what you were consuming on TV, movies, whatever, beyond what your dad had put you onto, what kind of comedy was out there for you? Yeah, not a lot, especially in Iowa with no cable, you know. Yeah. Um, but then we started stealing cable and it got better for me. <laughs> I remember watching Comic Relief and seeing Whoopi Goldberg and, and Robin and Billy and and why am I speaking about them in their first names? <laughs> um, but but I remember seeing them and it being wildly inappropriate for me to be watching. And I remember, I think, like Caroline's on Broadway or like some New York comedy club had like a late, late Saturday night into Sunday morning show where mm-hmm. they would you would just see stand ups. And I remember seeing like. Elaine Boozler and Judy Tenuta and like I know this is random and it, but I would never see a lot of black comedians and then once Comic View came out on BET that was like huge for me and then in Living Color and all that well Showtime at the Apollo I guess was before or Def Jam and all of that stuff I'm getting all the chronological order of everything wrong but those were the things that I started watching and watching those things like are you at, at what point do you start to think maybe this is the kind of thing I would like to get involved with yeah I think early on oh we were also religious about watching Saturday Night Live okay. from the time I think I was five years old my dad let me and my older sister watch that Saturday Night Live until weekend update because that was midnight and we had to go to sleep. But um, let me just ask you this: in those yeah. years, and I think I know the answer to this, yeah. but how many black women were on SNL? <laughs> <laughs> Ellen Clayhorn, Denitra Vance was in there at a certain point, but she just didn't get much on it. She's passed since. But yeah, just two during those early years, and really just one, really just Ellen. Mm-hmm. But you know, even before Leslie Sashir. And Ego, the girl who's on now, Ego, Ego, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, 
there were only three. I yeah. think. Yeah. Denitra, Maya, Ellen. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. I always say with the Black Lady Sketch Show, we've doubled the number of women who, <laughs> historically who have been on sketch shows. But it is interesting. Saturday Night Live, I mean, everything from Landshark to, you know, Cowbell. I watched every episode, <laughs> I think, until Trump. Yes. And then it got hard <laughs> it for got me. Harder, yeah. Yeah. So eventually. That, time... So that's when I thought I could do it. Because I was Even like, okay. though. There wasn't really any wasn't person really, there. Right. There was one. but There was one, and I had seen Whoopi, and I had seen Whoopi's one-woman show on PBS. Okay. And that was really impactful for me because I saw a woman on stage doing characters, and that was how, especially in the early days when I didn't have a lot of friends, I would just <laughs> sit in front of the TV and do characters and mimic people and learn how to do voices. So why did you eventually choose to go to grade school in Northwestern, and what was like the goal at that point? What did you imagine when you came out of there you were going to be doing? Yeah, so my parents said, I told them in high school I wanted to go straight to L.A. to, you know, become rich and famous. <laughs> and they were like, please don't. You'll do porn. Like, that's what happens to everyone. <laughs> they were very convinced of this fact. Right. And so I said, fine, I'll go to college, but I'm going to study comedy. And they said, there is no comedy degree. And so I just thought... Well, I was hosting like a Saturday morning magazine format show on a local Fox affiliate in Davenport, Iowa called Quad City Kids to Kids wow. from the time also that I was like 13 or 14. Wow. I was very busy in those wow. days. And so I was like, okay, well, this is kind of like journalism and I get to be on TV. So I'll go to the best journalism schools. So I only applied to two schools, which was Washington University and Northwestern, which mm -hmm. had the best journalism mm -hmm. schools. Got into both. Northwestern was more prestigious and in Chicago, where I spent a lot of my summers yeah. anyway, because my mom's family was there. So I said, okay, I'll go to Chicago. And uh, my Did parents- Did you know in choosing Northwestern that you're going to, were you aware of Second City? Absolutely. You were. Okay. That was the other reason. Yeah. So I was like, okay, then I can do Second City also. And I tried to do Second City like my freshman year and then realized it just wasn't going to be possible with my schedule. And then by the time I was a junior, I had already been scouted by Second City and offered a scholarship. And I got Was that because, from what I understand, you had basically started your own yeah. comedy group at yep. Northwestern? Yeah, because even in junior high, high school, I was like shooting sketches with my sister and stuff. And I, I was starting to do that. And that was before YouTube was anything. So where was this going? Just to have for your Just records. in the VHS, yeah, you know, yeah. just like to show my family. <laughs> and so by the time I got to Northwestern, it was like, yeah, I'm ready. Let's. I already know how to shoot. And when I was at the Fox affiliate doing that Saturday morning kids show, I was also an intern in high school and they taught me how to edit and how to shoot. Okay. So I was already ahead of the curve by the time I got to Northwestern. And I was like, yeah, not only am I going to do this sketch group called Out the Box, yeah. but I'm going to, uh, which had been on campus, but we brought it back. It got, it was there two years before I got there and then got kicked off for being too raunchy. And I was like, I'll show them what's <laughs> raunchy. And so we brought it back and it's still on campus to this day, but so we brought it back. writing and performing. Writing and performing, producing, shooting, editing, everything that I still continue to this day, which well, is crazy. Just because I had come across one quote from an earlier interview that you did where you said Medill, which is the journalism yeah. school of Northwestern, quote, Medill was so formative because I didn't know I was a writer before right. that, close That's quote. True. So what you learned there is that you can not just perform funny stuff, but you can really kind of come up with it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I was writing, but I didn't really know that that was a job. Mm -hmm. That was the thing. Like, I didn't know you could do. And it still took me many years even beyond that, because I always even when I came to L.A., I kept saying, I'm a comedian, I'm a performer, I'm a sketch performer. My goal is to get on Saturday Night Live. That was the goal. Why I didn't go to New York, I have no idea. <laughs> well, I just thought since I had been through Second City in Chicago and then Keegan-Michael Key had just gone to L.A. and Stephanie Weir and a bunch of people. So I was like, OK, well, I can go to L.A. and still get like discovered by Lauren Michaels. Because those were those were people who were at Second City at the same time as you? Right before, yeah. Right before. Yeah, and so they're, they're people I was watching when I was in college, and then when I went right after I graduated Northwestern, they were the they were the big names. So for somebody listening who has heard of Second City but doesn't necessarily know how this works, you're at Northwestern studying, yeah. but you said, I think, junior year, mm -hmm. you became a part of it. What does that actually mean? That you're, yeah. do you, is it a paid thing? Is it a... Yeah. What is it? So in my junior year, a scout from one of the companies at Second City saw me and was like, when you graduate, come. And maybe it was like beginning of my senior year because it wasn't that long. Mm -hmm. And then like right after I graduated, I started the conservatory program. But you have to start at the bottom. Well, I got to skip a few levels. <laughs> but they gave me a scholarship. But normally I would have had to have paid. And the Second City in Chicago is very big. I mean, I think there's a couple thousand students there. It's and, very, very big. And the conservatory is sort of 
partly grooming people for the main correct. stage? Correct. Correct. Grooming for the main stage or the ETC stage, which I was asked to understudy right before I went to L.A. And I was like the youngest black woman to ever do that, wow. to be asked to do that. And I was like, cool, I'm not going to do it. I'm ready to be famous. And I took <laughs> off to L.A. Didn't even have a SAG card. But, um, so that short time, though, there yeah. at the conservatory or it was pretty yeah, it's much. Yeah, been a year there. What's the value of that? Do you, like, Is there stuff that you took away that you still Unimaginable. use? Yeah. yeah, I was doing eight shows a week because I wasn't only performing at Second City. I was doing stuff with IO, Improv Olympic. Mm-hmm. I was doing stuff around town with other folks because you just get that bug. And it's like I was working a day job just to live to do sketch mm-hmm. and so I was doing at least eight shows a week wow. I mean there were lots of nights we were doing two and three improv sets a night and it was less sketch more improv but then I started writing more towards the end of my tenure as I got better and learned more of the structure through Second City they really teach you how to write sketch also so it's invaluable to me much more so than anything I've ever done. Northwestern was great because it taught me how to use like grammar. I went to public <laughs> school, so I needed some help. But Medill made me a great journalist mm-hmm. and Second City made me a great comedian. So what year was it that you moved, decided on moving to L.A.? 2002. And when you got out here, what did that look like? Was there anything awaiting or you had to now start yeah. hustling and find something. So the nice thing is my mom's twin sister, my aunt and her family lived here and my other aunt who's also a twin, a fraternal twin, <laughs> uh lived here. And so I lived with my aunt who had space in her home and invited me in rent free. I tried to pay her, she wouldn't allow it. And for the first year I drove from San Pedro to LA every day. Can you give a sense of how long that is? That is minimum 40 minutes no traffic, right. 2 hours in traffic <laughs> and It's not in L.A. So, you know, it was a grind. And I was just pounding the pavement, dropping off headshots at agencies that did not allow you to do that. (laughs) Um, Just trying to find an agent, trying to just hustle and get it together. And luckily, pretty quickly, I lied at Central Casting and said I was a stand-in because I heard they made more money than extras. (laughs) And I got to stand in on a show called All of Us with Dwayne Martin and Lisa Ray and Elise Neal and Tony Rock. And I got to do that for two years. And that helped pay my bills so I could audition and start working with other improv and sketch groups. I got in a sketch group with Bashir uh, Salahuddin and Diallo Riddle, who are currently doing Southside and Sherman Showcase. And they're amazing writer performers. We started performing sketch. Wyatt Sinak was in that group. Yeah. Yeah. We started performing together. And so there I just were puppets found with my, that too, There right? were puppets with that too. Absolutely. <laughs> and so we started performing around LA. And then I kind of just found my sketch and improv community here. Started, um, continued my work at Second City in LA. Improv Olympic here had a resident team. And yeah, that went on for years and years and years until I went to uh, New York, really. And, you know, obviously I kept having more success in television (laughs) throughout that. But that was really the formation of my sketch community here. And just to sort of set the timeline for people, I guess the reason you moved to New York was for Nightly Show, right? Yeah. So that was... I skipped a decade Well, no, but but we'll go back to to it. I just want to give... So you arrived out here in 02. (laughs) Yeah. And you go to New York for Nightly Show in 2014. Mm -hmm. So in that period... You mentioned that you had, you know, accumulated a lot of experience with sketch stuff. So I guess the first one was that one with Wyatt Snack and others, right? Yeah. That was Cleo's apartment. Cleo's apartment, yeah. What now, just because it's come up, like I didn't realize and I've seen that you've said that a black lady sketch show is like your sixth or seventh. So can we go through what those others? Sure. Yeah. Okay, so those were live ones, the one with Wyatt and Dial and Bashir. Yes. So a Black Lady Sketch Show is my sixth or seventh. I can't keep the count right, but let's do it right now. Yeah. On television. Yes. So on television, I was on a show on BET called Offensive Behavior or something that was like half sketch, half hidden camera. I guess we have to say, like, so suddenly you're on television. So like, what oh, was the yeah. first, what was the first? Oh, yeah. That, that must have been a big deal. Okay, so in 2003 or four or whatever, yeah. when I started doing stand-in work on all of us, Stan Lathan, who was directing at the time, said to me, oh, we want you to be an extra in this scene. And somehow I got the balls to say to his face, (laughs) I'm not going to be on camera unless you give me lines. Wow. And he was like, what? (laughs) Cut to a week later, they wrote me in and I got two lines and I ended up doing like six episodes of that show. Some of them ended up being uncredited, but they were all lines. I still have like three or four of the credits on IMDb. So that I got like these co-starring roles on a sitcom and then that helped me get an agent that helped me get just more and more work. Gets it going, yeah. Yeah. So then I started auditioning for sketch shows left and right. 
And there were that was the period when like Mad TV got really big. So I definitely auditioned for that. Definitely bombed that audition. I was trash. But then I got on. <laughs> yeah. So socially offensive behavior. Sob. That's what the show was called on mm-hmm. BT. That was half sketch, half hidden camera. I did a show called A Guy Walks Into a Bar with Ted Danson, George Went, all these people for TBS. We shot a bunch of episodes. They were like jokes turned into sketches, mm-hmm. like classic kind of zinger jokes turned into sketches. Um, with all these old school Second City folks, it was very fun. It aired, I think, at 3 a.m. one night, all the episodes. So no one saw that. Right. I did In the Flow with Afion Crockett that Jamie Foxx produced on Fox. I think they aired six of the 12 we shot, and then they rebooted In Living Color, and it never saw the light of day, and we never did again either. <laughs> um, I did a show with Mike Epps. That was, I think, supposed to be for Comedy Central. We shot it down in Louisiana, but it ended up going Funny to business. DVD called Funny Business. Business, business. Thank you for saying it correctly. <laughs> I said it wrong. Um, so that's four. There's What's another one. A guy I'm walks into a bar. That that's was... a guy walks into a bar. That's the TV. What did I call it? Well, which I don't know. That's the, that's the George Went. That's dance. the George Went. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's four. Wh- well, you were one. you were on Key and Peele. Oh yeah, I was on Key and Peele. Yeah, I was just so there's time. a bunch of these. So that, all right, uh, yeah. so that's five. So let's count that and no, say these that are, the yeah, Black Lives uh, no, Matter. So meanwhile, you mentioned that you auditioned for. But I will say the other yeah. ones I was all writing and performing for. Kim Peel, I just guessed it on, but yeah, right. the other ones I was all writing and performing Got for, it. which is cool. So it seems like for most people in the comedy world, and I would guess based on the fact that you said you watched SNL religiously, yeah. you know, the feeling is that is the top of the mountain. Absolutely. So. What kind of interactions did you have over the years with SNL? Was that ever a possibility? It was. Um, I got very close many times. I sent in first. I started in the early aughts, late aughts, rather, like 2007, 8, when I realized you could be a TV writer because I had been doing it and getting paid for it. But I didn't know that I was like, no, I'm on camera. But then I was like, oh, let me just (laughs) pay my rent. But I also liked writing and I was good at it. So I started submitting writing packets to SNL thinking that would be an easier way. Now, mind you, all these years, for the most part that I was submitting for SNL, Maya Rudolph was already on the show. Right. So I knew I was like, they're not going to hire another like light skinned black lady on this show (laughs) because I know how Hollywood works. And so I was like, "Okay, so let me try to get in as a writer. Yeah. So then. And also, just quickly, not even another light-skinned black lady, just another black lady, period. Because that mm. was the era where it was like, there is only one. They would never have had to. You know, it's not. it wasn't the new right. SNL that it is now. But anyway, so I submitted writing packets for years. And then in 2012, maybe, mm-hmm. I was getting closer every year. And How so, do you know that? Because my reps started telling me, oh, you're in the mix for the final. You're in the final, like, 10 or 15 mm-hmm. being considered to, to come in and meet. Mm-hmm. So I knew every year I was getting closer. The first few years, you just hear nothing. Nothing, yeah. But those last couple of years before I went in to actually audition, mm-hmm. and I would send in tapes. I sent in tapes for four or five years to no real response. Mm-hmm. Then in 2013, I was head writer at the Queen Latifah show. Mm-hmm. And the night before, they said... Lorne Michaels is doing something different. He's actually doing a showcase of like 15 people at IO in LA. He will be there. This will be your SNL audition. Jesus. Which for me, I never knew because I always watched the auditions and the DVD extras where like Will right. Ferrell's on stage on and he's doing yeah. the drunk uncle at the yeah, barbecue. Yeah, yeah. And Harry Carey. And like I had memorized those auditions. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is not how I pictured it. I always thought I'd be flown to New York mm-hmm. and go on the stage and no one would laugh. And then you'd walk out and cry because that's everyone's story. And have some prep time. And have some prep time. Luckily, I already had a repertoire of hundreds of characters. Right, right, right. (laughs) And so I was like, all right, cool. I'll go do Soledad O'Brien, Michelle Obama, Beyonce, and then a couple (laughs) of, you know, three original characters, and I'll throw it together the night before. And I went, and I was the only black person there, man or woman. And they cast like six of those people. So you're like Noelle Wells and like, Mm -hmm. um, who else? Anyway, it was like six of those people got on the cast. It was like the biggest number they had ever put on the show. And I was like, they couldn't put me on. (laughs) But. Two things that were really cool happened. Mm-hmm. One, Lauren was right in front of me mm-hmm. and he laughed. Mm-hmm. He Which laughed he during my do, audition. Right? And that was huge. Yeah. From everything I knew, that did not happen. Right, exactly. And secondly, my agents got really good feedback that they were like, she was great. Mm-hmm. And it just isn't her time. Mm-hmm. But so I took that to heart because I know from the casting side at this point, I had been writing and producing and and casting from the other side. So I knew if they said I did well that they meant that because they didn't have to say it. It wasn't you know. devastating? No, it wasn't because yeah. I already had a great job. And not that I was meant to be in daytime TV, but I loved working with Queen Latifah. And yeah. I knew that that was just going to be a head writing credit that would get me to the next thing. I was also, mind you, auditioning for The Daily Show religiously every time. 
Thank God for Allison Jones. Every time they would call me in for The Daily Show, I would get closer and closer and closer. And so, so I thought at two, that point, yes, yeah. that it was either going to be The Daily Show or SNL. And it wasn't either. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, though, one thing we should, you know, to connect the dots here, we, you know, you don't just show up and suddenly become the head writer of That's a syndicated yes. show, the Queen Latifah show. Yeah. You had gradually, I guess, on some of those earlier sketch shows that we talked about. Yeah. Those are some of the first writing yep. credits. And then one of the questions I had, though, is like, how does somebody in a writer's room stand out enough to move up the food chain yeah. without basically being a ball hog? Like, what's right. the how do you go in a relatively short amount of time from being just another person in the writer's room to, I believe, the first? I'm a lot of firsts. Right. So what was with Queen Latifah? It was, it I, was... I don't know this one for a fact. I might be the first black woman to be a head writer in daytime. I know I'm the first black woman to be a head writer in late night right. comedy. Uh, daytime, up. I just don't know. Sure. We haven't done that research. But so suddenly, Somebody told me that, yeah. but I don't know if that's true. But okay, so now, so how did, how does somebody, or specifically you, yeah. like, well, I think you got to prove yourself as a staff writer. And in the world of sketch and variety, it's not like scripted where you work your way up to be a story editor and then a co-producer and then all that kind of stuff. You just go from being a staff writer to being a head writer. Mm -hmm. There's really no in between. So I think I had a reputation. I'd also been writing for award shows for 10 years and I'd been writing for Funny or Die. I had a massively viral couple of hits with Funny or Die and on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I did this video called Shit Black Guy Say that got a lot of attention. <laughs> um, I produced and wrote and was in the Wayne Brady, Bobby Brown, Mike Tyson, Every Little Step remake for Funny or Die. So I was getting a real reputation. I'd been in the business over 10 years and I was getting a real reputation for being the person that's like, okay, if you want something to go viral, call her. And also if you want to have a great opening monologue with great jokes, call her. Mm -hmm. So I was getting a reputation for that around town and I worked with Mike Evans, Kevin Hart, Anthony and Anderson, Wayne Brady, Sam Jackson, not Chris Rock yet. I worked yet, with him, yeah. started, met him in 2014. Yeah. But I started working with all these huge comedians, writing jokes for them. And so I just became that person around town. And by the time Queen Latifah started her daytime show, she said, I only want to hire late night writers. So she hired me, Beth Sherman and Jeff Cesario, who were all old school. Beth came from Letterman. Cesario came from a million things, including... Oh, my God. How am I blanking on the funniest show of all time on HBO? The fake late night talk show. Oh, yeah. How Gary dare Shanley. I? Thank you very yeah, yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, she hired us for a daytime show, which mm -hmm. was seemed like a weird departure. But she wanted to do a lot of comedy in daytime. Mm -hmm. And so that was a fun year doing that. But I knew I was anxious to get into true late night. Just a quick aside for trivia buffs who are looking at your filmographer credits or whatever. And, and they see that there was a period. So the Queen Latifah is 2013. So this is. What I'm about to ask you is well before that, okay. early days. But, okay. like, you were on E. Oh, yeah. With, like, Seacrest and Juliana yeah. Rantzik and all yep. that. I was watching, I was saying to you earlier this morning, I came upon a thing on YouTube where you're interviewing Denzel. You're doing a <laughs> news report about Britney Spears having her oh meltdown. My God, yeah. You know, like, all kinds of stuff. So... What was that about? Yeah, that news background came in handy in the 2007-2008 writer's strike uh -huh. when the business was down and none of us could get any work. Oh, Chocolate News. That was the other sketch show I did okay, for Comedy so Central. <laughs> I remember because it got me out of a rut. I had $7 to my name in 2009 after the E! News dried up and the writer's strike still hadn't quite got back. I mean, the writer's strike was over, but the right, work was right, not right, there. Right. Yeah, Chocolate News. That was the other one. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to keep remembering no, good, sketch shows good. throughout this. But yeah, so I randomly met the talent booker for E! News and one of the reporters that they had, Harris, what is her first name? Samantha Harris? No. I'm not oh, my God. I'm blanking. Anyway, <laughs> forgive me. She was having a baby. She was yeah. co-hosting Dancing with the Stars, and she was a reporter on E! News at the time. And this was E! News was like a very big deal back then. Yeah. And I met the talent booker at a party, and she was like, you're hilarious. What do you do? I was like, I'm a comedian, but I also have a degree in journalism. She was like, you should come work at E! News. <laughs> and I was like, sure, I can do that. And it's, it's strike-approved work. Mm -hmm. I'm not writing and I'm performing, but on something that's after, because mm -hmm. it was before the unions joined, mm -hmm. but I'm not scabbing or, or crossing right, a line. Right. So it was the perfect yeah. thing. So from 20, yeah, 2007 to 2008, I got to d interview Denzel, whose real name is pronounced Denzel. Uh, that was in the clip, um, yes. And Janet Jackson and like all Adrian Pamela Brody, <laughs> all these amazing people. It was so cool. 
And uh, they let me do funny stuff, you know, which was, I mean, the Britney Spears thing was sad. But, yeah, I got to use that journalism background. And, but and that everything. was not, you know, getting your toe in it or whatever, it, it was helpful in the moment, but it was not something you're like, I would like to continue no, to pursue No, no, I had no desire to be an entertainment yeah, journalist. Yeah. And when I was on the red carpets interviewing people, I remember specifically talking to Lisa Kudrow, mm -hmm. and they have you behind that metal partition or yeah. whatever as the person's walking the carpet. And I remember thinking, I'm on the wrong side of this partition. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm yeah. on the wrong side, right. man. Right. Uh, she was lovely. It wasn't because of her. It was just, I just remembered that moment. So I guess a big moment, which we sort of touched upon briefly a second ago, was 2014 BET Awards, where I guess on maybe it was during the Queen Latifah show run or right after it ended, but you'd had this experience doing writing for award shows. Now you're working on that one, and that's how you meet Chris Rock. Yeah, I only worked on that one because of Chris Rock. So okay. I came to work on his team to because write the sketches because they knew about me. And actually, Questlove from The Roots, yep. who's a dear friend, said to Chris Rock, "Was like I'm hiring some more folks. I've got Leslie Jones, but that's the only like woman, and I like want to work with more funny women. Who do you have?" He's like Robin Thede. You got to get her. And so I remember, oh my God, this was so mortifying. So the first day of working on the BET Awards, I remember for Chris, I walked in the room and somehow he had texted all his normal writers. There's like 14 of them, by mm -hmm. the way. And none of us are useful because he writes all his own jokes, by the <laughs> way. 14 of like the most, Leslie Jones is in there, but like John Max, Jeff Stilson, like all these, these names mean nothing to anyone who's not no, a comedy writer good, nerd. But, but to me, I was like, holy shit. Like these are the biggest the comedy writers. Team, yeah. Yes, all-star team. Maybe Wanda, was Wanda writing? It's possible at yeah. that point. She might've even, maybe not. But anyway, I walk in the room, somehow he's texted them and said the meeting starts an hour before the time I had been given oh. because I didn't know him yet. Yeah. And so the way I met him was walking in the room late, everyone looking at me and him going, oh yeah, Robin, Amir <laughs> said you're funny. And I go, yeah, well, there's no accounting for taste. And I got a big laugh. Yeah. And he was like, all right. You know, and I was like, well, at least I started with a laugh. Yeah, or, right, or I said right. something like, oh, well, he has terrible taste yeah, or something right. like that. And and it was just the first thing that came out right. and, and the room laughed. And yeah. I, that really helped break the tension because yeah. I immediately thought he was going to hate me and I was going to get fired. But he's <laughs> truly the most patient, kindest, most talented person. I well, know. so you, it seems like you guys hit it off. That wasn't the only time you guys worked together. No. What were some of the other things? That so, yeah, after that, he just kind of took on a mentor role for me and was very much like, you know, keep killing it and like watched me on the nightly show. And I would just ask him stuff. I'd be like, how do you deal with this? Or when you're doing this, because I was head writer on the nightly show and it felt like, you know, on a daily show, it was very hard to keep your head above water at that level for me that was the biggest thing i had done up to that point and then when the nightly show got canceled right. on a monday we were told that we were off on thursday and it was like what so just so people know chronologically yeah. what we're talking about so queen latifah show 2013 2014 yes 2015 you start on the nightly show which was because well, 2014 i started writing but 20, we premiered right. january 2015 and yeah. that was larry wilmore saying yeah. You, did you know Larry Wilmore? Yes, I knew Larry Wilmore just um, uh, at an acquaintance level and as a fan. Um, but he had been to one of my sketch shows, one of my live sketch shows okay. for this group elite, Delta Force 3. And so he had seen one of those shows and was like, and unbeknownst to me, was a fan. Mm -hmm. But we had met after the yeah. show and I was like, I'm such a big fan. You have literally written everything that has made me laugh in my life. Yeah. And... I sent him a message when I heard that the nightly show was going to happen. Back then it was called the Minority Report Right, right. Uh, before we got a cease and desist letter from Fox. Um, and I was like, I'm going to be your head writer. And I got no response from him. Three or four months later, I got the call to come in to meet. And I came in with a full binder of like all the writers I would hire, the types of jokes I would write, recurring bits. I was like, you are not going to not hire me. Wow. Like I came bold. in. Yeah. yeah. And and knowing uh, this would mean that you have to now move your life to New York. Oh, please. I was so ready. You were ready. To go. I was so ready. And I just bought a house, too. And I was like, I don't care. I'll abandon that thing. I don't wow. care. So, yeah, that was exciting. And then after the nightly show got canceled, I went to Jack's Media within two weeks of the nightly show getting canceled. And they said well, if you were going to do your own show, what would it look like? And I said, it'd be a weekly show, a mix of politics and pop culture, but really at that intersection, I'm told from my perspective. And they were like, that's a fantastic pitch. Let's make that show. And they said, 
do you want to produce with anybody? Would it be helpful? And I said, well, I mean, Chris Rock's like my mentor. But I was just like talking. I right. didn't realize I was actually pitching a right. show. They were like, yeah, that all sounds good. They called Chris like three days later. They called me. They go, Chris is on board. And I was like, wait, wait, I wasn't serious. But OK. Wow. And then we made a pilot and then it was on the next year. That's so, the rundown. Yeah, that's the rundown with Robin Thede. So he executive produced that with me. Right. But let's let's yeah. stop for one second just because okay. a couple of random questions. Were you sure. involved with Chris Rock's Oscar hosting in 2016? No. Not Okay. Um, I was too busy. I figured, yeah, probably at that <laughs> point. One of the things you did do in addition to the nightly show while that was going on, though, I think, was the White House Correspondents Association. Oh, yeah. So that Remember you were that the head writer. Remember that used to be a thing? Yeah, before when the president still fun. showed up. Yeah. Um, well, when we and had, had a sense of humor. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Larry gets the job to be the host asked you to be the head writer. And I mean, what is that assignment? That's the last Obama one. Yeah, the last year of Obama. Oh, how so exciting, intimidating or oh, whatever. Was it? Yeah, I have this weird. I have a reckless sort of confidence in my work. Right. Not in everything, but in my work. Right. And so I People are always like, oh, my God, are you nervous? I remember before the rundown premiere, oh, are you nervous? I said, no, let's go. Like, yeah. I'm just ready. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what all that time in the business before you get those opportunities gives you. Right. It gives you the, you feel prepared. Right. As much as you can be. So for the White House Correspondents Dinner in 2016, Larry and I were just, we were of the same page and we were just like, we want to make a mark. We want to pay respect to this president that we liked, mm -hmm. but at the same time, not take it easy. Right. I mean, I think we made a drone joke or, you know, we made some inappropriate <laughs> yeah, jokes yeah, yeah. and he called him the N-word and it was fun. Well, that's with the one love, that, though. No, with no, no. love, though. So just to remind people, how, so how does Larry's yeah. speech end? So it ends where he says, you know, look, I grew up in an era when even seeing a black quarterback on the field was impossible. And seeing you in the White House gave me new dreams and new possibilities. So thank you. You did it, my nigga. Or some shit like that. I don't remember what the word was. Now, I don't remember what the phrase was. What, how did, there was no visible reaction from any offense, right? From Not anyone. at all. He right. laughed. He laughed and chest pounded. Right. No. So, but then it became Yeah, well, it became a big Because people thing. need to... People, uh, well, people were outraged that you would call the president the N-word, but my thing was... Is it the N-word? I mean, it's not a word. It's I would not say, the N-word right. because it's not an ER. Yeah, right. So it's it was, a, it was a term of endearment. It was two right. black men having right. a private moment in public. Right. And I think that was shocking. Right. I think today it would not be shocking because black people are living their truths much more out loud and in the open and unapologetically. But even in 2016, to be that unapologetically black in front of that audience. Yeah. And, you know, people saw it as offensive or disrespectful. But the good thing is... The president did yeah. it and said as much. Yeah. He said it days after. He was like, that was fine. Like, I was, it was great. It was a moment between two guys, you right. know, two black guys, two brothers, right? So, I mean, I think that was important to have. And it was an important humanizing moment, I think, for the president as well. Because at the end of the day, like, he is just another black dude, from, <laughs> you know what I mean, who's lived on the south side of Chicago. And, like, we, I don't know. Just for there the... Was no, there was no intention of being disrespectful. No, it was all, it was, it was all love. And when you get some blowback. I just am curious, was that Larry's idea to throw that in there or was that your idea to throw that in there at the end? I don't know if he's said this or not. I think he's said this. I don't want to betray his confidence. I think he's said this in as much. Larry is a brilliant man. I definitely pushed him to say it. Okay. <laughs> I'll just say that. Okay. Um, but Larry is his own independent thinking yeah, man. But But I definitely thought it could be a moment in history. And it turned out to be. So, so that I was... I like, you know, I'm known for things that go viral, right? So <laughs> he knew who he was hiring. That was on April 30th, 2016. Yeah. Not... God, it seems 10 years ago. I know. It's a lot it's happened. Not. Yeah. <laughs> but April 30th, 2016, but before even November when we yeah. had our election, yeah. the plug got pulled on Larry's show. On August 15th, we found out. And we Why were on do August you think that 18th. happened? And how... Upsetting Why was do you that? think that happened? Well, uh, <laughs> we were told ratings, but if you look at the numbers we were doing in anything that any show, no offense to those shows, has done since, mm -hmm. our numbers were exponentially larger. I do think it was a tough time because Stephen Colbert had just left that slot. We took it over. Also, Jon Stewart was just leaving The Daily Show. I think Trevor had been on a few months. So there was a massive expectation in that slot. 
But if we would have stayed, we would still be the dominating show of the night in that space. And I don't, again, no disrespect to anybody else who's been in that spot. It's just that, you know, we were on the air a year and a half, two years, not even two full years. And at the end of the day, we had a loyal, loving audience. And those people, I get Twitter comments every day about the nightly show, every day about the nightly show, as if it got canceled yesterday. Mm -hmm. People are still very upset that it's gone. And I think Larry's voice was really important. And I think the cast's voice was very important. We had the most amount of black people purposely and black women, especially in late night in one show on the writing end and on camera and people of color. We had Latinx people, you know, Southeast Asian correspondents like we and then other places had that too. You know, Hassan Minhaj was on The Daily Show, I think, towards the end of our mm-hmm. run. And and then Roy Wood Jr. and all of those great folks that Trevor brought on. And, and of course, why it had been on The Daily Show. But I think for us in general, it was a feeling of like, why would we be canceled right before Trump's about to be elected? And you Larry had called a field it. day, right, with that? Everyone had a field day with it. And our show would have had, we would have had the biggest ratings of the series. And Larry called it. Larry said Trump's going to be president. He said it when he said Mexicans are rapists. He goes, oh, he's going to be president. And we were like, you're crazy. And he couldn't have been more Because he knew it was a dog whistle. Yeah, he knew. So luckily, though, as you said, it was a pretty quick turnaround between that and getting something going with the rundown. Yeah, it was a year before it hit the air, but I made the pilot within a month and a half. Wow. So just to remind people, weekly half hour show, 24 episodes a a year and it went on in 2017 off in 2018 yep. and then a week later i sold two other shows <laughs> oh i know well we're coming to that but I don't so waste time <laughs> no no no. that's amazing i mean when's the when have you had a vacation but never um so chris rock as you said ep you're the sole host and yeah. cast member that's it nobody else is on it chris rock said that i said i want correspondence he said nope just, just you. you and you had never been at the center no. of anything on camera before no. You, you were part of ensembles and yeah. whatever, but, um, and then several months into that, you become the showrunner as well, right? Yes. So what is that, what is that responsibility? You know, if somebody- This is crazy to hear mirrored back to me. This is wild. This yeah. is your life, yes. It is. No, but uh, we know what it means to be a head writer from what we've talked about already. What does yeah. it mean to be now a showrunner as well? I do not recommend being the star creator, EP, and showrunner yeah. of your own show. <laughs> Although I'm doing it again currently. Um, I don't recommend it. It's a lot of work. For me, you know, this show was a real passion project, The Rundown, because I wanted to show that a black woman in late night could be everything that any white man could be in late night. And, you know, we were with the same production company and right upstairs from Samantha Bee, Mm -hmm. and she was a constant cheerleader. And um, obviously Chris Rock was amazing. Larry Wilmore, Jon Stewart, they were all Um, giving me amazing advice consistently and constantly. And for me, when I became the showrunner of my own show, I thought it was really a triage sort of situation that had to happen um, (laughs) for circumstances that aren't even interesting. But it was complete creative control, but also now you're the person who's hiring and firing. Now you're the person who's concerned with the budget. Now you're the person that's you know, just a lot more involved in the day to day. And so once you take on the weight of all of that, it kind of frees you up as a performer in a way, because you're like, well, when I get out there, I just have to be great Mm -hmm. because I don't have time to worry about it because I'm worried about a million other things. Do you think it's, I mean, obviously you're doing it again, so I guess I know the answer to this question, but is it not in some ways better to have leave the stuff apart from being funny to other people? I would love to do that. Yeah. I... Fortunately and unfortunately, am supremely trusted by the networks that I sell (laughs) projects to. Right. And they're like, no, 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 you got it. Which is amazing, right? Because most writers, even writers who aren't even performers, I have so many writer friends who sell shows and they're Mm -hmm. creators, but they only get like a co-EP credit and they're definitely not showrunning. Right. They're just like, yeah, no one will let me show run. And I'm like, I don't have Be that careful problem. what you wish for. Yeah, right. <laughs> Literally every show I've sold, I've been the right. showrunner. <laughs> so you kind of alluded to this, but it seems like the greatest significance of the rundown was that in the world of late night at the time it was yeah. around, no other black women. Yeah. The only other woman was Samantha Bee. Yeah. And I mean, you basically joked in other interviews and it's 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 funny, but it's true actually that all the other shows, aside from yours and Samantha's, were white men, most of them named Jimmy or yeah. some variation Jimmy or of James. that. Yeah. And actually, there was, I think you've talked about, there was literally one night 
Yes. You know I where I'm going. This. You go it was ahead. a Stormy Daniels joke, I think. But yeah, all of the Jimmies did the same joke. And it was almost verbatim. Actually, Vulture wrote the article about it. Okay. And I just saw it. And they were like, Robin Thede's the only person. And Sam B just wasn't on that night. Right. But um, they were like, Robin Thede was the only person who had a refreshing take on this joke. Their joke was verbatim the same joke. And that's my big problem. I mean, I've been very active with the Writers Guild and for years and very outspoken about hiring black writers, not for the sake of diversity, which I think is BS, but for the sake of not having the same jokes all the time. Yeah, just you different know? perspectives on things. Yes, yeah. you just don't want to have the, like as a sheer numbers game, you don't want to be a late night host that is doing a verbatim joke as someone else's. And since, I will say since, mostly all of the late night hosts have gone well out of their way to make sure that they're hiring women and people of color, which has been amazing. Seth Meyers was the first, right? He Yeah. Oh yeah. Seth set up his show that way. Yeah. Seth maybe wasn't was he? Yeah, on? it might have come on after. Yeah. That. And he wasn't one of the ones that had the same joke. Right. If he was on, I remember. Sorry, yeah. I just want to find one name I was gonna ask you no, about. It's okay. Yeah, Amber Ruffin would have been. She, I think she was the head writer for Seth, right? Not the head writer. She was the first. first. Amber Ruffin, who's a dear friend of mine. We did Second City, and we did an improv show called Two Two Seven: The Lost Episodes Mm -hmm. together (laughs) about the sitcom Two Two Seven. But she was the first black woman on network TV to be a writer in late night, and then I was the first black woman to be head writer. Okay, got it. So. What was to you the highlight of that short but memorable time with the rundown? It was a beautiful time. I mean, I got to take all these lessons that I was given by all of these incredible titans of comedy and of late night and apply them to one show and to really find my own voice. I had spent most of my career writing for others or if I was writing for myself, it was in character form. So this was really Robin Thede talking on television as herself. Right, not a um, character most of the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that started, I know that started at the nightly show when Larry really pushed me much more in front of the camera. And uh, it's not that I didn't want to perform, but I was just really focused on doing a good job as the head writer there. But um, the last season especially, I was on camera, I mean, two, three nights a week, either doing bits or the panel. So mm-hmm. that prepared me. So by the time I did my own show, it was really second nature. And, you know, I've been reading teleprompters since I was 13, so <laughs> right. that's not hard. But, yeah, I knew what I wanted to say. And I was angry that the nightly show wasn't on anymore. And I wanted to help carry that torch a little bit some way. And were you blindsided in July 2018 when the rundown was canceled or did you no. know it was coming? I knew. Why? Um, did that, I wasn't what? for sure, but I knew from the beginning it was going to be an uphill battle on BET. BET is not a network known for this kind of programming, and as although they did what they could, there's Didn't they only, have a regime change around that time as well. They right? had many regime changes yeah. <laughs> in that year, and so you know the people who really brought me in were no longer there. But mm-hmm. Connie Orlando was very supportive, and and Scott Mills, who came in after Deborah Lee was gone, you know, I knew his focus was on scripted. And so I knew that if we didn't get daily show ratings, we wouldn't stay on. Because at the time, they didn't even have BET Plus. They were doing, they were really dependent on advertising, Mm. on traditional terrestrial commercials to make money. So in terms of business strategy, I understood it. Mm -hmm. And I know that the average viewer can't understand that. But I understood it. And there's no hard feelings at Mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. And it just set me up to do my dream show. Right. So that basically brings us to the current chapter. And that, I guess... Before we explain why I'm asking this, how did you first know Issa Rae? Where did you guys meet? Oh, on The Nightly Show. So Issa, this is wild. So, you know, Larry co-wrote and co-created Insecure with Issa. People forget that. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, Yeah. yes. Larry's got his hand in literally every comedy that black people have been in. (laughs) Um, And so he was talking about her and I knew her from her Awkward Black Girl series on YouTube, was a big fan. And then she actually came to audition for us before Insecure to be a correspondent. Lucky that didn't work out. (laughs) I know, because I actually fought for her. And I was like, Larry, she's good. She can do this. And he was like, I don't think this is her thing. I think the scripted thing is going to be better. And I didn't know at the time that he was already planning on creating the show with her. And then that all happened right before the nightly show. And then, you know, she took off. But I back then was obsessed with her. And we had her on a panel, but she didn't end up working on the show. But that's how I met her back in, yeah, like 24. 2015, 2014, I think, before the show even aired, yeah. And so, again, July 2018 is when you get axed by BET. Yeah. And so... Like my birthday or something, or like the day before my birthday. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. But it was okay, because I knew it was coming, and I actually asked them to cancel me sooner than later. (laughs) 
because I knew it was happening. Gonna, right. Yeah, I was pretty. Sh- I was ninety percent sure. Because I had actually heard were you even while it was still on the air, pitching. Yeah. A sketch show. Yes, but I always do that. Okay. So, I was pitching a million things. But the idea was that even if the rundown's still alive. I was going to shoot the sketch show in between seasons. Okay. Yes. So that was the plan. It wasn't like I was counting on the rundown. I, and when I say the, I knew the rundown was being canceled, I mean the summer after our first season. I don't right. mean during. Right. During, I thought we were killing. We were killing it, yeah. to be fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we made every top 10 list. Like we were, yeah. every, it was a critical. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, you know, I knew what I was doing was good, but I always have a backup not yeah. a backup plan. I only have one main plan, right, right, but right. I always have other ideas, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So, yes, I had started pitching this sketch show early in February of was 2018. Was it specifically about black ladies? Oh, it was always a black was, lady oh, sketch okay, show. Okay, so that was the next always. thing. Always. And so you get canceled by BET. Yes, and Issa calls me that day. Well, first of all, I think, good, the announcement came out because I think they were going to wait a month or so to announce it. And I said, no, I got to get my staff on yeah, other shows. And if yeah. they still think we're coming back, that was my big concern. I had a hundred people who yeah. I needed to get jobs. Yeah. And so I sent them all to the other shows. Some got hired at daily shows, Seth Meyers, whatever. They all landed right. on their feet. Now they're working at Disney Marrow. Like, so that was really important right. to me because that's that showrunner yeah, side. Nice. Right. Yeah. So I was like, cancel the show. I've got two things on the table. I've got a pilot at ABC and I've got something I really want to make yeah. somewhere. I wasn't sure where, but that there's interest in this sketch show. And so they did. And that day I was like, my phone is going to ring off the hook. Everybody's going to want to work with me. I just came off this successful late night show. I've got, you know, I've done all these things. One phone call. And it was Issa Rae saying, yeah, congrats. Your show got canceled. What are we doing together? (laughs) You know, and I was no apology. No, like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. She was like, let's go. And I said, I've got this sketch show. I gave her a two line pitch and she said, bring it to HBO. And so we did. And what does that actually look like? So, hey, let's have dinner. Or yeah, what? we yeah. went to dinner with Amy Gravitt yeah. and Issa and Issa's manager. And that was it. Just the four of us. And so basically it's Issa who's in business with them yep. at that moment. Has a deal at HBO. Saying, I would like to champion this as an EP. Yep. Right. And if you bring it on, I'll serve that role. Yep. And I'm vouching for it. Yep. And I had already met with Amy Gravitt in February when I was doing a round of pitching in L.A. anyway, um, just in kind of a general sense. So she liked me and, uh, you know, we wanted to find something to work on together. So it was really just all those pieces coming together. And the dinner was short. I mean, the pitch rather at the dinner was very short. I think most people think you go in and pitch like in a formal room and there's like, a yeah, and you have like, (laughs) that's not how it works. That's how it worked when you sell to like network TV. Mm -hmm. But again, my late night show wasn't that way. It was just a conversation. Mm -hmm. And this also was just a conversation. I said, there's never been an all black, all woman sketch show. I've got the people to do it. I know how to make this show. I've been in sketch for two decades. I know what I'm doing. I know how to run a show. I know how to create a show. I know how to cast a show. Let's do this. And they were like, okay, are you going to be at the center of it, essentially. And I said, yeah. But I said, I've also got a lot of great folks who I know I can bring on. I know they can be a part of it. Over-promised a little, but I also over-delivered, thank God. Because <laughs> at the time, I was like, yeah, Ashley Nicole Black, like, I'm going to get her from Sambi. No. I didn't know I was going to do that. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I thought I could, but right. I had to wrestle her away. Right, right. From my friend, you know, yes. from Sambi. And, like, uh, she couldn't have been more gracious about it. But so so that's how it went. And and at the end of the dinner, the waitress comes up and she says, the gentleman has paid for your dinner. And we looked over and it was Denzel Washington. No way. Where was yep. this? At a restaurant that is now closed. It was the one, what was it? The one on Sunset. I always want to call it the Fox and the Hound. That is not what it was called. Yeah. It has two names, but it's now closed. That's awesome. Yeah. What? I it never heard that story thereafter. before. I know. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't tell it a lot. That's a cool one. Yeah. So, all right. Now, from green light to oh my god debut, it was so fast. But this is crazy because so it's super crazy. It, I heard and I tried to do them at eight months from you can go ahead and do this to you're on the air. Yeah, at the most. Break that down if you would. Like yeah, what? so August of 2018, I sell it over dinner, but uh, yeah, I think I can say this now. I had sold it another place. But hadn't signed on the dotted line because (laughs) I just needed more money to make it. That's the thing about sketch. You don't get a lot of money to make it. And I wanted to make the most cinematic, gorgeous sketch show ever. High production value. Yes. And so we were going back and forth about money. And then Issa said, bring it to HBO. We brought it to HBO. And then they were like, okay, we'll take it. So we were in a bit of a bidding war for a few months. Mm -hmm. And then right after Thanksgiving, so it was almost December, we said, okay, we're going with HBO. We're locked. I hired writers before Christmas. 
got my head writer on board, got my staff on board. The showrunner was already there, obviously. Yep. Got a line producer. By January, we hit the ground running, started writing. We were on the air August 2nd. That's insane. That's insane. Especially and for HBO, where projects tend to linger yeah. in development for a Years. long time. Yeah. There was no development. I was like, I'm making a Black Lady Sketch show. I texted the cast and said, come do the show. <laughs> they all came. No audition, no agents. No audition. Agents were a little involved. Bit, yeah. But the initial ask came from me. Yeah directly to their phones and they all thought I was crazy. Quinta Brunson calls me a witch because she's like, I don't know how you do this magic. Like, how do you just call somebody? She thought she was a guest star until she literally came to the first table read. She thought she was just like a guest star on the show. She was like, I didn't understand because no one just does that. (laughs) No one just texts somebody and says, come be on my HBO show and be like a star in it. Right. But yeah. So eight weeks of writing, five weeks of shooting. That sounds right. That's right. I want to. And then, yeah, like. Another six of editing or whatever, and then we're on the air. So this is something you talk about. Why is it called a Black Lady Sketch Show instead of the Black Lady Sketch Show? So the way I was always pitching it was called the Black Lady Sketch Show. And I didn't think that name would stay. It was just an easy way to pitch it. (laughs) So when people go, oh, what are you pitching? The Black Lady Sketch Show. You you don't have to ask any more questions. You know what it is. (laughs) So Issa and I were having this conversation with the writers in season one, and we said, the Black Lady Sketch Show carries a lot of weight. So if you're saying it's the Black Lady Sketch Show, it's like the penultimate, you know, definition of what's funny and what black women can do. And it feels like a lot of pressure. Right, right. (laughs) We toyed with all these different names, like the All-American Sketch Show, just something like trick people so that when they see a bunch of black ladies, they're like, what? (laughs) Um, uh, But we ended up with a black lady sketch show because we said, well, then it can just be one of many. Yeah. You know, and that way you take a little bit of the pressure off. Is anyone associated with the show in front of or behind the camera? I know the answer about in front. I don't think there's anyone who's not a black lady, right? No, are there? There's a few. Are there? I mean, Issa's management at Three Arts, and but they're honorary black ladies. Um, <laughs> but no, most of the producers are uh, black women. We have one black man. But it's the in terms of room? making the show, no. The entire writer's ladies. room, all black women, season one and two. Yep. Um, our director, first season, black woman. We've got another black woman director who we're super excited about for season two. And we've got my head writer, black woman, Lauren Ashley Smith, who was with me at the rundown as well. Yeah, all the writers, all the actors. Talk about the fact that you've got a ridiculous number for six episodes. How many people come in, guest stars? 55. And we're talking everyone from Patti LaBelle to Angela Bassett, Bassett. Cox, Dion Cole, Larry Wilmore. I mean, just the list goes on. So how does that happen? Here's the thing. (laughs) So I think this all started back when I was working on award shows because I think people remember you from those days like Kerry Washington I remember would come up to me and be like I'm so happy to see you backstage as a writer on this award show like you never see black women and like I just gained this reputation again like I said over almost two decades in Mm -hmm. this business and I'm one of those people that knew everyone but that was not a household Mm -hmm. name still I'm not I don't think but um, we're getting there why bell or whatever like one of these people that yeah or like you know, Ben Schwartz or like yeah. some people that like have just have been in the business, have been yeah. writing. Even Mindy Kaling in a weird way yeah. or, you know, or like Donald Glover was a writer for years right. before he became, you know, what he is now. Mm-hmm. And like, so you get to know all of these people. And so when it came time and we said, it's a black lady sketch show, it's never been done. It's Robin Thede and Issa Rae and it's HBO. No one really turned us down. Right. And I also wrote like, flowery letters to everyone who I wanted to come on. And some of the people I just texted, like Laverne Cox is just a friend. I just sent a text and she was like, yeah, That's you know, and, and that happened a lot. I mean, Larry obviously was a, was that a was phone easy. call yeah, and right. yeah, a lot of it was using the resources between East and I knowing people, but then some of it was just cold saying, you know, we're making this thing. We really believe in it. Who was the one where you were the happiest that you, Angela Bassett, because no question. you just I, always have her on a pedestal. Why would she ever do a first year sketch show? She's never seen. She's not a comedian. Like, why would she do that? But my pitch to them was always black women never get to host SNL. Tiffany Haddish is the only black stand up comedian who's ever hosted SNL. Whoopi Goldberg has never hosted SNL. Tracy Ellis Ross has never hosted SNL. Regina King, Regina Hall. Like, I think about these amazing women who have just never had these opportunities. And so, like Ava DuVernay said, don't ask for a seat at the table, build your own house. (laughs) So I built my house. And I welcomed everybody in, you know, and I said, just come, come be a part of this. And season two, as we're dealing with casting and things now, it's like, 
it's really fun because people, you know, have been pitching themselves to me over the past year. Wow. But it's we have an embarrassment of riches of people who want to do the show. And even in season one, for people who couldn't do it, it was like, oh, it's a scheduling thing. Usually it wasn't ever really a flat out no. Last uh, couple of minutes, I just want to ask you, you know, let's talk about the format of these six episodes where you have some sketches that pop up throughout yeah. that'll come up multiple times, like Chris and Lachelle. Is yeah. That, um, you have some that I guess we would call the interstitials that are yeah. where it's basically the four of you guys probably as close to you yourselves as we're actually going to see, right? Yep. How did you decide on the structure of, like, yeah. you probably wrote a lot more sketches than you ended up using, right? Oh, my God, hundreds. Yeah. Yeah, hundreds. For me, it was important that this sketch show be highly cinematic, that it featured black women living grounded experiences, but in a magical reality. So it was really important that black women had the carte blanche to be everything, not just to play the best friend, but to be the lead, but also to be sinister and evil and happy and joyful, you know, not just seen as angry or, or neck rolling best friend. So it was important to me that we have the range in that. And so for me, format wise, I combined kind of two styles that I love, which are single camera comedies and then sketch, but told in a narrative form. So if you'll notice all of our sketches, they're much longer than most sketch shows. We have more time to fill on HBO, mm -hmm. which is nice. Um, so we have full beginning, middles and ends, and we love a twist and we love a cliffhanger. So for me, I didn't want to come out in the interstitials like Chappelle or anybody on a stage and be like, okay, y'all ready for your next sketch? Yeah, right. Like, I just didn't want to do it. Cam Peel had done it and got away from it. And I understand why they got away from it because it just feels a little too set up. Mm -hmm. And for me, I wanted people to go on a narrative journey. And what better way to usher them into that than with an actual narrative storyline? Mm -hmm. And that's about the four black women surviving mm -hmm. the apocalypse. And of course, who would survive an apocalypse? Four black women. <laughs> And is that um, going to continue into next season, or is that a I'm different I'm telling you nothing. Nothing? Okay, all right. Um, uh, <laughs> answers will come in answers season two. Okay, okay. So we left in a big cliffhanger yes. with a doorbell ringing yes. and us believing that we're the only four women right. on Earth. So you will get answers <laughs> okay, for good. who's at the door. I have to say that of all the sketches, and I, I laughed a lot at a lot of them, but the Masterclass one, I literally <laughs> just died laughing Dr. at Dr. Hadassah Olienko, yes. Ali Youngman, three PhD. <laughs> And just like even her own family yeah, can't they deal hate with her. it. Yeah. yeah, they don't hate her. They're just really annoyed. She's very annoying to them. <laughs> she comes from an upper. We found out last season she actually comes from an upper middle class, uh, upper class family, yeah. but has taken on this mantle of, of her tepery. And uh, for it those who so don't know that, yeah, it's just right kind of this, for like the way the yeah. master class trailers are cut. It was perfect. Oh, thank it. you so much. <laughs> thank you. That's a really fun character to play. That's a ridiculous character, but yeah. she's somebody who gets to say all the wild conspiracies that are really fun. Okay. So the last couple things, just like sort of Big picture, rapid fire, mm. if we can. Yeah. Best variety sketch series category at the Emmys has been pretty unevent, unexcited. I don't know what the word, because you basically had SNL every year. Yeah. And with Schumer the, and Kim Peel. Schumer and Kim Peel came in, and, but like. But mostly. It's not, and it's not particular. So those were also basically pretty much it for the diversity in that category yeah. as well. <laughs> so any thoughts on that sketch? There's now actually, a, there wasn't for many years a, even a sketch category at the Emmys. It was just variety and SNL would be in there with like The Daily Show. Any thoughts on the larger sketch field? Yeah, I'm excited because friends of mine, like my friends who are making Astronomy Club and Sherman Showcase, uh, came out the same time we did, and I think that the the field of sketch, but also Tim Robinson, I, th I think you should leave, and Alternatino, and Los Spookies, and like, I don't know if Los Spookies is considered sketch, but, you know, all these kind of alternate kind of comedy shows, comedy variety shows are out here, and I think this year, and I'm not even just speaking for a Black Lady sketch show, I'm just speaking in general, we would be remiss to not see somebody up in that mix, just because the offerings are more rich than they've been in years. Right. Sketch comes and goes, and it's having a wave right now and we are riding that wave into a season two and hopefully many to come but i think that you know look snl's always been great but snl doesn't have to win every year and i think that there are a lot of people out here working really hard and mm -hmm. our group is not low on that no. <laughs> list so. what do you most hope to achieve with season two that you weren't able to achieve with season one bigger and broader now that we know that people will i think we were a little too subtle with a few things. And this is just like showrunner creator yeah, talk, yeah, criticizing yeah. my own show, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> but I think there's places where we don't have to be so subtle 
and HBO has the aptitude for it. Our audience has the aptitude for it. I mean, you look at a sketch like Courtroom Kiki, which had a catchphrase that was black lady courtroom, clap, clap. (laughs) And it's like a silly thing to say out of context. But when you see it, that sketch meant so much to so many people. And people yell it to me all the time. (laughs) So I think knowing now what people react to, pushing the relatability factor of sketches so that people feel seen with comedy. I think that's the fun that we get to have. And just being crazier and bigger and quieter where we need to and darker and lighter, just pushing kind of all of the superlatives. How far along are you into season two right now? Just scripting it, right? It's not done, right? It's not done. The reason I ask is that if you could still kind of put it out there, one dream guest star that you want oh. to bring in. Let's and maybe they're listening. Who would it Oh, I say this everywhere and without apology, Beyonce, but I will take Blue Ivy. <laughs> okay. And honestly, I might prefer Blue Ivy. Might, yeah. Hey. Yeah, just because Beyonce like doesn't need this, right? Like, but <laughs> Blue Ivy is forging a career. So um and I'm not kidding. That is not a joke. Right. I will put Blue Ivy on the show. How in old a is she hot these days? Eight. She just turned eight. All right. It's sad. So we can only use her yeah, for about right. four hours, <laughs> but you know. Uh, I think she's endlessly funny from what I've seen. I okay. actually think she's brilliant. Well, there you go. <laughs> you mentioned, you kind of passingly referenced earlier that there was a time when you and ABC were talking about a oh, series yeah. inspired by your childhood, I guess. Yes, it was. Is that? Oh, it's long dead. It's that. <laughs> but I think it could come back. I mean, it was, uh, in my mind, this wasn't the eventual title, but the way I pitched it, it was called Black Trash because I grew up in a trailer <laughs> park in Iowa, and I'm obviously with black folks and my white dad. And uh, so it was just a story. Uh, I think they had mixed-ish coming at the same time. Right. So it was a story of coming of age kind of, but this is us version where you see modern day me, but you also see flashbacks of how I repeat the same mistakes I made in the trailer park growing up. So last question. Yeah. You tweeted last Friday, quote, I can't tell you what just happened to me today, but it will alter the course of my career in a major all caps (laughs) and positive way. I keep my head down and just do my work between shows and seasons. Yeah. So just remember, I said this in a few months and thank you for being here. Close quote. You don't want to unburden yourself of that secret. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, but um, it is very exciting and it's a new level of career point for me. So I'm excited about that. Everybody's like, are you starring in a Marvel movie? And I'm like, no, if I was starring in a Marvel movie, I wouldn't have tweeted something that cryptic. I wouldn't have tweeted anything. I would have canceled my Twitter, but no. Not hosting the Oscars next year? Oh my gosh. Listen. Is that something you would like to do? Of course. Because that's a job that a lot of people now, I mean, based on what happened to Kevin Hart and not, I mean, there was, it's a complicated situation, but basically yes. a lot of people feel that There's you're going to get, letter on that. well, yeah. that you're going to get a proctology exam if you agree to host it. That's fine. I'm clean. <laughs> I'm clean. I am unproblematic. Unproblematic. All right. As far as I know, <laughs> I deleted my tweets many years ago. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Finally, be sure to check out the other podcasts that are part of the Hollywood Reporters Podcast Network all of which are excellent. Leslie Goldberg and Daniel Feinberg's TV's Top 5, Seth Abramovich and Chip Pope's It Happened in Hollywood, Carolyn Giardina's Behind the Screen, and Josh Wiggler's Series Regular. On behalf of all of us at The Hollywood Reporter, thanks for tuning in. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.